my crazy job. So I want us to take a look at our theme verse this morning for the series found in Luke chapter 21. Jesus was talking about what was going to happen in the end times. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. We've been talking about how awesome it is or how strange it could be that that God chose to put anxieties in the same sentence with carousing and drunkenness. Did you catch that? Carousing and drunkenness we could all point our finger at, but nobody really points the finger at anxiety. But for some reason, God puts them all three together. (laughs) And I wonder if one doesn't lead to the other. But it says, and that day will close close on you suddenly like a trap. So last week we talked about the number one stress in our life, finances. And today I want to talk about the number two stress is work-related stress. Uh, My job is to, as a pastor, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's the saints, the Bible says, who go out and do the work of the ministry. It's the saints who go and reach people and build lives. It's not the pastor. We, I was raised in a, a mindset of the pastor did all the hospital visits, all the, the sick care. He was the only one that could pray. He was the only one that had a, a red phone that would go directly to heaven. Uh, it, was, it was like there was so much pressure on a pastor in those days that that's why pastors were burning out 1500 a month. Because it was too much pressure because it was out of order. You see, a pastor's job is to equip the saints, those believers, to go out and do the work of the ministry. Because you actually go out in the world. Right? So, so it's my job to equip you to do the work of the ministry. The problem is, is that I'm having a hard time doing my job of equipping you to go out and do something else because you're already stressed out. Because we allow things or open up doors to things that stress us out. And now we can't do anything that God wants us to do because we're stressed out. I can't minister to other people. I can't encourage other people. I can't lead a life group. I can't witness to other people because I'm too stressed out. If you have a job and you work 40 hours a week, let's just say you work only 40 hours a week. Some of you going, I wish. (laughs) 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, let's say you get two, two weeks off for some reason or another, 50 weeks a year times 50 years, you come up with 100,000 hours of your life is spent at work. That's just on a 40-hour week. That's not talking about overtime. That's not talking about your side hustle. That's not talking about anything else. That's talking about a 40-hour work week. For 50 years, you work 100,000 hours. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a lot. So I want to help you today to learn how to serve Jesus where you spend the majority of your time. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 says this, so I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Do you feel that way about work today? Come on, how many of you are already dreading tomorrow? Show me your hands. I thought so. (laughs) Is that your attitude towards work? Is that how you feel about work? Or do you get motivated and excited for Monday? 
Where are you at? What is your attitude? 80% of workers feel stress on the job. 25% have felt like screaming because of job stress. 10% are concerned about an individual at work they fear could become violent. 14% felt like striking a co-worker in the last year. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but you know who you are. Don't just say somebody's like, that's me, Pastor. I'm just telling you, that's me. It's me, it's me, it's me. 18% experienced some sort of threat of verbal intimidation in the past year. Crazy, huh? You know who I think is some of the hardest workers on the planet? Can I just share with you my opinion? I think single moms and stay-home moms are some of the hardest workers on the planet. Look at that. Now all the guys are going, man, hurt and put that slide down. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. Pastor, you know what kind of conversation I'm going to have this afternoon? Leave it up a little longer. Yeah, buddy. Janitor. Psychologist. Mm-hmm. Can we give it up for the single moms and stay-at-home moms? Come on, somebody. And even the working moms. I want to I throw down two thoughts real quick, and then we'll get into some practical points. Uh, my first thought is this one, and I want you to, I want to kind of come at this from a different angle. I want you to see something different maybe than you've never seen before. The first thought is this, that God works. God is a worker. God actually works. I'm not saying that what he does works. I'm saying God is a worker. In fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first sentence of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God what? Created. God worked. God works. God's been working from the beginning. History begins with God at work. God didn't work because he was bored. God worked because that was part of his character, because it's part of his nature. It's who he is. God is a worker. You getting this? God is a worker. He works. It's part of who he is. It's not just because he's bored. If you remember, after each day when God was creating, what did he do? Day one, God creates all these things. What does he do? He sits back and he looks at it and he goes, that's good. You see that? Day two, he creates, oh yeah, that's good, that's good, yeah. Day three, that's good, four, that's good, five, oh, that's good, this whole thing's coming together. Day six, that's, that, that would be like Saturday for us, y'all, come on, it's even good on Saturday, it's like, oh, that's good. Day seven, took a nap, he rested, but God said that his work was good. It seems to me when I read the scriptures that God finds pleasure in working. It's like God likes to work. God likes to do things. God likes to create. He likes to move in situations. God likes to do incredible things. You think about it today, God is holding this whole universe together. He's even down to the details of each one of our lives. The Bible says he knows how many hairs you have on your head and they're numbered. For some of you sisters, that's, that's hard to keep up with every day. Because the drain's clogged because you got hair fault. 
You see, God's like an accountant. He got to keep track of all. In fact, I would say God is busier today than he's ever been. Think about this. 7.5 billion people on the planet. And God is moving in every one of their situations. God is working in every one of their lives. Trying to bring them back to himself. God's a worker. Romans 8.28 says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. God's a worker. Second thought. We work. (laughs) Well, Pastor, you didn't need to tell me that. (laughs) I know. We work. Genesis chapter 2 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Adam came into the garden. God's instructions were to work the garden and keep the garden. God intends for us to work. So maybe you need to quit hating on your job and realize that you've been created to work. But pastor, you don't work where I work. Now I've worked some pretty crazy places too, though. I've even worked for family. That's tough. We work because we're created in God's image. How many of you could say, I find pleasure in work at times. I don't think everybody finds pleasure every day. <laughs> Come on. Even I want to quit sometimes. But I find pleasure in my job. I find pleasure in a good day's work. There's nothing like going out and tackling something and then seeing it change and turn into something incredible and then stepping back. And the same nature that's in God is inside of me because if I stop long enough, I look at it and go, man, that was good. Oh, that was good. Nothing like spending two or three hours with a married couple wrestling through some problems and going through all this and my wife and I, and then we were driving home and go, oh, that was good. God, that was good. Like, praise God. We work. Work was never meant to be a curse or a punishment. Work was God's idea, not man's idea. Watch this. Adam worshiped God two ways. When he walked with him in the garden... And then when he worked with him in the garden. You ever get around somebody and their work looks like worship? (laughs) I didn't think you would say that. I had a guy, a friend of mine, one time we traded out some work. I poured him a driveway. And a couple years later, he came to my house and hung some crown molding around my house that we just remodeled. And so I called him up and said, hey, man, I'm ready for that crown molding. He said, bro, I'm coming, man, I'm coming. So he comes and he just comes in and he's just doing his thing. He, he rolls up, unrolls his tools, gets to work, tape measure flying, ladders moving, nail gun going. And I'm just sitting there going. It was like a song. I'm just sitting there watching him going. And he just loves what he does. It's taxing on his body every day. But he just loves it. Adam worshipped God by walking with him and also working with him. So let me give you five thoughts to help with work stress today. Anybody want to know a few thoughts? Thought number one, very important thought. We work for God, not people. You've got to get this one right. 
As a believer, as a born-again Christian, we work for God, not for people. Yeah, but Pastor, I got to deal with people. You don't know the people I got to work with. I understand that, but listen to me. You work for God, not for people. Paul said in Colossians 3, he says, I don't just do the minimum that will get you by. He says, do your best. Work from the heart for your real master for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Ever been shortchanged? God's going to cover that. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. We work for God, not for man. So when we go to work, we get after it. We do it with excellence. We do it with, with a smile on our face. We do it. It may be hard, but we continue to do it. We do it right. Why? Because I'm representing God. I'm here for God. Yeah, you might have hired me on paper, but God sent me here from heaven to be a part of this job. And I'm here to be his representation. And people don't want to hear my preaching, but they'll listen to my working. Come on. Too many Christians get bad reputations or put a bad reputation on God because they're lazy. Listen to what he says. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Who's holding him responsible? Jesus is holding him responsible. Jesus doesn't like to be misrepresented. Sure is quiet in this church. You have a higher boss than your employer. Your boss is Jesus. We should be the best employees at the workplace. Come on, somebody. If you're mopping floors, if you're straightening up papers, if you're keeping records, if you're, if you're nailing something, if you're sweeping something, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. I'm doing this for Jesus, so I'm going to do the best I can at it. I'm not going to sit back and take my time and milk the clock. I'm going to sit here and do it good, and when I'm done, I'm going to go to the boss. I'm going to say, what you got next? Yeah, but pastor, they don't pay me enough to do that. No, but God does. In fact, he says, whatever you're getting shortchanged, I'm going to take care of it for you when you get your inheritance. Sure, I'm going to have me a little chunk of change. I ain't lying to you. (laughs) We don't just talk about Jesus. We work like Jesus. Notice Jesus didn't stop short of the cross. Notice he didn't stay up in the garden. Well, let's just hide out here for a little while. Boss man ain't looking. <laughs> See if we can get away with a couple hours. I don't really want to die for you guys yet. What did Jesus do? He walked to the cross. And he took it for us. Didn't he? Look at what he's doing today. He's still moving in your life today. He knows the details of your life today. He's sitting next to the Father, and he's looking over us, and he's going, move here, move there, commanding angels to go and do. Not lazy. You see, I believe if we work to please God, then we'll naturally start to please men. Not all the time, but in most cases. 
If you focus on pleasing God with your work, men will eventually have to be pleased with you. They might fuss at you. They might talk behind your back, but they're not going to fire you. I had a boss one time. I'm running an excavator, dressing up some on the side of some roads. I'm doing a good job. I love that kind of stuff. So, man, I'm just like, boom. It's like a, it's like a, a cake man just putting icing on a cake. I'm just I'm doing this. And, and I see, I knew my boss was frustrated with me. But I, I, I didn't know why. And he, he come marching down the road. And he had that walk when he was mad. And he would say something. And he, come, he was coming, walking up at me. And I'm looking at him. And I'm running the machine. I'm praying in tongues. And I look up. And he turns around. And he walks off. And I'm like, hmm. So I move to the next plot. Mm, here he comes again. I mean, seriously, this really happened. He comes storming like he's going to chew me out. Next place. I just said, he never told me anything. He might have been frustrated with me, but my work shut him up. Amen? So number one, we work for God, not for people. Number two, discover your real purpose and make a difference. God sees work differently than we do. discover your real purpose and make a difference. We're responsible to discover our purpose and we're responsible to eventually make a difference. God's way to approach your job is, is, is like this. He wants you to discover your gifts, talents, and abilities and then begin to use them. As you use your gift, talents, and abilities, he then causes, that causes you to begin to release your passion. As you release your passion, you begin to bring value to other people. All of those things combined create an opportunity for compensation. You see this? I'm going to discover my gifts, begin to use them. My passion is going to come out. I'm going to add value to people's lives, and I'm going to create an opportunity for compensation. The world says, start with compensation. Like, if you pay me enough, I'll work enough. Y'all can look at me all straight face. I've heard some of your conversations. We start with compensation. If you'll compensate me, then I'll use my gift. Then I might release my passion, and then I might add value to other people. It all depends on how much you compensate me. What's the motivator there? Compensation. God's way, our motivation is bringing glory to him. Because the people that know you best know that you're not that good. When they see you performing in your gifts and using your passion to do whatever God's called you to do, it begins to point to him. They begin to look at you and go, that boy was an idiot. How did he get that good? There's got to be a God. I know people have said that about me for years. There's got to be a God. Oh, my goodness. Maybe the reason we're frustrated with our work is because we start with compensation. We start with how, can I, how much can I make? We get enslaved to the dollar. I know the dollar is important. Don't get me wrong. I like the dollar too. It just makes a horrible God. We don't need to give glory to the dollar. We need to give glory to God. Passion is what I like to do. Talent is what I can do. And my purpose is what I'm supposed to do. You know, the happiest people on the planet don't necessarily have a better marriage or a better job. They've just discovered that there's a different way to go at it. 
And no matter what they're in, they go at it with the right attitude, with the right perspective, and they, they seem happier than everybody else. And you wonder why. It's because they got their, their mind right. They got, their, they got their perspective right. Amen? I would, I would go out on a limb and say this, and, and I'll have to be careful how I say it, but, but I would say that a lot of people who, who don't know their purpose are lost. They're lost. They're kind of wandering around through life because they don't, have, they don't know what their purpose is. They have no purpose in life. I, I would go as far as to say that people who are abusing government assistance, like they're, they're legitimately abusing the government assistance, those people, are, to me, are honestly living the, one of the most empty lives there is because if, if our, part of our nature that we get from God is to be a worker, is to, is to work with our hands and see that it's good, then if we, if we get in... Um, if we, if we make a habit of living off the government, we lose that, that connection with God through work. Is that making sense? So people who don't know their purpose seem to be lost. <clears throat> Look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 20. He says, I, I, I do know that it won't be any picnic, for the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. Listen to what he says. I know it's not going to be a picnic. The Holy Spirit has told me repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times ahead of me and imprisonment ahead. But that matters little. He says, what matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job the master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet, say that with me, say everyone I meet know all about the incredible extravagant generosity of God. Do you know every person you meet was a person that you're supposed to tell them about Jesus? Do you realize that every single person you meet is an opportunity to share the love of God with them? Even the co-worker you don't like? Even the boss you talk bad about behind his back? Even at the job you curse every Sunday night. <clears throat> Where was Paul's focus? Completing the job that God gave me. Jesus gives us work. Do you see that? It's called our purpose. Our purpose is to work to tell others about him. It's to, it's to populate heaven and deplete hell. Come on, it's to take those that are broken and, 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 and abused and give them life and give them hope. Come on, you got a crazy story because there's somebody else that needs to hear your crazy story. Because it gives them hope because you made it, then they go, well, I can make it. <clears throat> a career is something you live on. A calling is it gives you something to live for. Number three, we need to realize that our vocation is my ministry location. Wherever you work is where you're supposed to do ministry. Your job is your mission field. If you have employees, they're part of the mission. We minister where we work. No matter where we work, self-employed, <laughs> employed by others, 
wherever it is, that's where ministry is to happen. David was a shepherd before he became a king. But as he was a shepherd, he was being faithful to what God gave him to do. I've learned this principle very well early on in life is that if I'll stay faithful right here and stop trying to promote myself and move myself ahead, if I'll just be faithful right here, God will entrust me right here. Is it making sense? I don't like right here. They got crazy people right here. They're taking advantage of me right here. They talk bad about me right here. I want to be there. I don't want to be here. I'm too qualified to be here. Look at my resume. I'm too qualified to be right here. Well, then why are you still right there? Because the book says that God is faithful to those who are faithful in the little things. He'll give them more. Right? You want a promotion? Be faithful where you are. Serve your way out of that job. Love your way out of that job. Joseph was a shepherd. He became a CEO of Egypt. None of Jesus' 12 apostles went to seminary. That gives me hope. They all had jobs. Right? They had jobs. Jesus' first job was not a preacher or a teacher or a healer. What was his first job? A carpenter. Where was his ministry? Wherever he was building tables and delivering them. Right? Acts chapter 18, talking about Paul, it says, After Athens, Paul went to Corinth. That is where he discovered Aquila, a Jew born in Pontus, and his wife Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. He had just arrived, they had just arrived from Italy, part of the general expulsion of Jews from Rome ordered by Claudius. Paul moved in with them, and they worked together at their common trade of what? Tent making. They made tents together. Then it says this, but every Sabbath, he was at the meeting place doing his best to convince both Jews and Greeks about Jesus. Well, what was he doing while they were making tents? He was making disciples. You see, Aquila and Priscilla would go on to do ministry with Paul because he, when they were so intense together, so how's your marriage? Priscilla, is he treating you right? Is he washing the dishes, loading the dishwasher? What's he doing? Y'all praying in tongues? Y'all reading your Bible? You being obedient to God, making tents? They would go on to do ministry, become a vital part of his ministry. People that he could actually lean on. Paul saw that every place he went was an opportunity to share Jesus. What if tomorrow you decided to go to work a little different? What if, it's just an example What if you picked up some donuts, rebuked the calories off of them, and brought them to work with a big old smile on your face? What if you started saying thank you again? What if you started saying I appreciate that? What if you started finding people alone and say, you know what I appreciate about you? I I, I love the way you do this. What if we changed how we go to work tomorrow? 
You think it'd make a difference? What if we brought joy and life back into our job? Find a need, meet a need. In the book of Acts, there was 40 miracles. 39 of those miracles occurred outside of the church. Oh, I'll get you some of that. Outside of the church. They didn't happen on Sunday morning when you had all these pretty people worshiping Jesus and the moment was right in the stars. It wasn't here. 39 out of 40 was out there. That's your opportunity out there. The church has fallen in love with itself and they want to minister to each other till they're sick and tired of each other. Right? How about we get out there and begin to lay hands on the sick? Get out there and begin to pray for people. Come on, get out there and encourage somebody. Wherever we go. I had this question pop up when I was preparing my message, and it was this one. And it's a pretty tough question when you think about it. Do you love others enough to pray or encourage them even at the workplace? Do you love them enough to get past the embarrassment? Do you love them enough to not care what your reputation is? Do you love them enough to take a risk and pray for somebody? Do you love them enough, even at the workplace, to do that? Jesus said this in in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead... A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to who? Everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You want to change the atmosphere at work? You want to change the attitude at work? Let them see your good deeds. Let them feel the love of Jesus flowing through you. And they'll start praising your father in heaven, the Bible says. Watch that and see that happen and see if you don't get excited to go back to work. (laughs) Amen? You're the light. You are the light. If you don't shine, God's going to have to send another light. I don't know about you, but I got enough pride in me that says, I don't want God to have to send another light because mine ain't bright enough. I want to be so bright that he can take somebody from me and say, I'm going to go, okay, you got enough light over there. Let me borrow this person. They got some light on them. They, I need them over here. I don't want God to have to send some resources to help me shine bright. I want to be so bright that he starts to take resources from me. Does that make sense? Thank God, because I didn't. <clears throat> You're the light. There's no other light. There's no other hope at your workplace. You're the one. Number four. Getting something so far? All right. Get your heart and mind right before you go to work. (laughs) If you wait to get it right at work, it ain't going to get right. Come on, somebody. I'm going to pray when I get to to work and get in the bathroom. Too late. They'll catch you in the parking lot. Get your heart and mind right before you go to work. Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, say hearts, on things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And then he says this second sentence. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So we need to get our hearts and our minds right before we even go. 
why it's important to wake up and spend time with Jesus. It's hard to get your heart and your mind right in the process. Come on, you got to get it right before you get there. It's even difficult to get it right while you're on the way there because people drive crazy. You'll be trying to pray and before you know it, you're cussing. <clears throat> the best way to change your work stress is to, get your, is to start your day by setting your mind and your heart in the right place. Do you, I want you to look at me. Every single one of us is responsible for us. I am responsible to set my heart on things above and my mind on things above. Nobody else is going to do it for me. Unfortunately, people aren't praying that hard for you. I'm responsible every day to get my heart right and to get my mind right before I go. Here's the good news. You got to do it every day. <laughs> you don't get to do it one time and you're like good for a week. It's not, it, it doesn't last a week. It's like every day. Sometimes it's multiple times a day. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's multiple times a day. Like, like you may have to slip off to the bathroom and get your mind right. Don't worry about the lights. They, they're trying to get right. You need to get your mind right and stop looking at the lights. <clears throat> We have to daily put on a fresh attitude and get a fresh perspective. That's what you're doing when you get your heart and your mind right. Is you're, 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 you're setting your attitude for the day. You're not letting the day set your attitude. You'll come home different. You might come home nice. With a little hop in you. You never know what will happen if you get your attitude right. Amen? You got to prepare to go before you go. We're responsible for it. Number five, last one. Clothe yourself with love. Everybody gets dressed before they go to work, right? Okay, good. Correct answer. If you said yes, that's the correct answer. You said no, just take a connect card, fill it out, say I need help. We'll pray for you. Clothe yourselves with love. Does anybody work with difficult people? Raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you might be the difficult person. <laughs> Just saying. Clothe yourselves. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3. Since God, watch this, this is so powerful. Since God chose you. Say that with me. Say, God chose me. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. What do we have to put on? What is the most important garment you can wear? Love. Love. God chose you to wear love. Then when people see you, they see you clothed in love. 
Christians aren't supposed to be mean. We aren't supposed to be hateful. We're not supposed to be uh, revengeful, if that's a word. Christians are supposed to be humble, full of love. Not weak, but strong, but full of love. So in the morning, while you're getting yourself, or actually before you get yourself physically dressed, you need to get yourself emotionally and spiritually dressed also. What does your day look like if you take a moment and you go, Lord, I'm trusting you for today. I submit all that I'm feeling right now about this day to you, God. I'm grateful for this day. I know you're going to use me today. God, I want to set my heart right. I want to set my mind right. Give me your perspective. Help me to see the way you see. God, give me your attitude towards this thing. I'm so grateful for my job. You know the difficulties, God. But I know that I'm your light in that situation. So would you, what if you, what if you prayed, Lord, anoint me for this day? <laughs> what if you asked for his anointing? Did you know you could ask for that? When I, in the, on Sunday mornings when I pray over the dream team, I pray that God would anoint every one of us to do everything that we're going to do today because everything that we do today is important. Everything that we do today brings glory to God. I want us to be anointed to do that. 